Okay, so, you know what? Um, some of you might have listened to our fantastic interview with, and I'm going to try it properly this time. Please correct me if I do it wrong. That's okay. That's okay. Amita? Amita? Yes. Getting there. Awesome. Okay. So. It's going to take a while to work out the yeah, whiteness. And it that's is. fine. I, I'm so white. I'm that's so painfully mm-hmm. white. Uh, but we are here uh, again because... You know, uh, our foreign correspondent all the way from Texas <laughs> by <laughs> uh-huh. uh, our foreign correspondent from the great country of Texas mm-hmm. is here to talk about a lot of things. I don't know. Just, you know what? Everybody just loved hearing from you last time. Oh, thank that, you. Uh, obviously, we want you back. You want to hear something uh, ridiculous about a professor who... Uh, forgot that I was from Texas. <laughs> yeah, sure. Go for it. Not forgot, but uh, I was... So I was taking the statistics class back when I thought I was going to get a master's in public administration or some shit. And I had actually been held up that semester because I was stranded in Tajikistan Okay. for a few days longer than I should have been. Basically, the Tajik government wouldn't let me go. They said your visa's expired and then didn't let me leave, which I feel is antithetical to having a visa expire. But anyway, so I messaged all my professors beforehand. And then I guess this first or second statistics class and the professor is asking us, he's teaching us about cardinal versus ordinal numbers. Mm -hmm. Cardinal numbers being one, or sorry, first... No, wait. Cardinal numbers. This is why I hated the class. Cardinal numbers being uh, like, that's number one. That's number three. There's no like, there's no progression. You're talking that makes to the, sense. You're talking to the wrong person, because if I remember correctly in Avery, tell me this the next time we talk. Avery was a math major, so they could definitely have told us. Fuck. Anyways, we were debating if zip codes were cardinal or ordinal. Mm. And I said that actually I believe they seem to be cardinal at first glance because you're only looking at them from a localized perspective. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think if you chart them all out, there is a progression that goes from the northeast toward Mm -hmm. California because it starts at zeros or Mm -hmm. like twos and ones here yeah and it goes to nines in california so i said i think large scale it is ordinal and he asked me and he he said i don't i don't know for sure is that how it is in your country oh yeah and then i sort of looked and responded do you mean the country of texas and he backtracked real fast (laughs) Yes, the country of Texas. It's basically another country down there. And for the rest of the semester, everyone in the class remembered who I was because <laughs> I was the one who... Uh, you were that Texas exchange student. Yeah, I was the Texas exchange student. Also because one time a spider got caught in my hoodie and oh, no. I uh, leapt to my feet and screamed, oh, fuck, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to get it out. Oh, Good times. I don't have an MPA, by the way. <laughs> That's the moral of the story, everyone. Don't be from Texas and don't have a spider stuck in your hoodie and maybe 
maybe you'll understand grad school level statistics, which are actually just basic statistics. Maybe. Who could say? Anyways, uh, this is the Conditional Materials podcast oh. presents... Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll figure out a show title name after this. Anyways, it's part of our ongoing series of talking to people of of me talking to people who aren't Anna and Avery. And strangely, my series of continuing to have discussions with John that seem podcastable. I mean, I'm a very podcastable person. I have a voice for radio. Full disclosure, listener, John and I hung out for an hour and a half before just picking up food yeah. and getting beer. And I think we had to stop ourselves every few minutes or so to yeah. say, save this for the podcast. Save for the podcast. I mean, to be fair, I also do that, do that to Anna and Avery at times. Oh, okay. I'm sure it doesn't put a damper on your friendship at all. <laughs> well, you know, if they knew how to act correctly, it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Also because they're not your friends. They're your colleagues. They are my colleagues. I mean, I am technically their manager. No. Oh, sorry. This took a hierarchical. <laughs> As the producer. Okay. I, I, it, actually, okay. So I do write that I have managerial experience regarding stuff on resumes from this podcast because I do wrangle two goblins every week. Any of you are not those goblins. They're two separate goblins. Don't worry about it. It's Bill and Melinda Gates. Yeah, I mean, that weed dispensary is just so huge. No, gotcha. Yeah, all of us have goblins to wrangle every week. (laughs) For me, it's my insecurity and um, my uh, crippling sense of inferiority compared to everybody, which is part and parcel of my insecurity. But there's like, they're like twin goblins. Sure. And the mother goblin is. Is your mom. Is <laughs> My mom's just like, did I ever tell you about the time I hooked up with a guy who wasn't your dad at a Prince concert? Solid. I mean, congrats. Good she turn. was mostly bummed that it wasn't Prince. Oh, same, I suppose. I mean, we are all bad. sad that we haven't hooked up with Prince. And we'll as never much be as, able to. And we'll never be able to. As much as he is, he is a weird Jehovah's Witness. We didn't get a chance to purify ourselves in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. And that's... and also not take blood transfusions. Oh, okay. This is weird. I I love that I know some things about Prince because John knows that I don't listen to what I call white people music. I mean, Prince... Well, so actually, more accurately, I don't listen to English language music. Mm-hmm. And it... I've had this come up in conversations <laughs> where I've had to tell people that and it makes me sound like a prick. But actually, it's just because, aesthetically speaking, English is a horrible language to sing in. Sure. It's not a very musical language. No, I'm, I'm not, I, again, not arguing with you. That's just my voice sounding sarcastic. I've had, <clears throat> I've had singers tell me English is their least fun language to sing in. And to be completely honest, I, I write in English because it's the language I speak and understand best uh-huh. and can express myself in. But then... I get it. Like, I mean, I find English to be a horrible language for expressing emotions um, or abstract concepts. Like, English is mm-hmm. a bad language for abstract concepts. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see, along with all of its other problems, like singing, like, it. it's not a fun language. It, it's a very harsh language. Yeah. And 
I mean, we just have to accept that the reason why American music is as popular as it is, is one, because the blueprint is African-American music. Yes. And that is the good music. Mm-hmm. And two, because we live in an Anglo-centric and U.S. Colon- colonialism-dominated world. Yeah. I mean, American music wouldn't be popular if, say... Uh, two separate world wars ravaged all of Europe and left them so economically disenfranchised that America was the only place that anything could be peddled to or from. And so yeah. America was like, well, how do we capitalize on this culture? We capitalize by spreading our absolutely wretched culture everywhere. And what is that wretched culture? It's a bastard offshoot of British culture. I mean, the the game plan established by America is not dissimilar to many other game plans throughout history and concurrently being conducted (laughs) by many countries like India, (laughs) Um, where I'm always surprised at how many more people watch Bollywood. But now I think it's gotten to the point where people tell me how much they love Bollywood and I've turned into the South Asian hipster. It's I don't I don't see a lot of like i don't get that but also i'm just not in those circles i feel You're like not. <laughs> I definitely, we don't we don't invite nope. you john <laughs> that's fair that's fair i feel like people uh, are way more about k-dramas and just like korean culture uh, as, because like, that as, like, is your, your circle of people i i mean and that's okay yeah it's okay that you're a weeb it's fine yeah, uh-huh, i yeah. so i had a friend um a friend from poland call me a slava boo <laughs> <once. laughs> so i understand um but this, yeah this really wants me uh th- this really makes me want to like sit down with you and play a game of crusader kings 3 where we're where we're uniting the slavs a- a- as like a political project uh... it's a weird computer game it no i know what it is yeah I like how I was contemplating the the historical feasibility of that and the current feasibility of that, and that was what my my yeah, pause no, that, that's uh, fair. That's was, fair. And, and you had to come in and I mean mansplain <laughs> Crusader Kings to me. I mean, we could alternate alternatively uh, find a locale that is uh, as close to what modern day Afghanistan would be and take over the Western world. Mm, poor Afghanistan. Also, um, well, also. Uh, you can play as most of uh, India in there, so hmm. you know you could could live out days. If I if I had any inclination yeah. to feel imperialist, I I might take you up on that. Um, alas, I feel like that's fair. I feel like these last few weeks, months, years, centuries uh, have been offering. Yeah, it is weird how I haven't felt like playing Crusader Kings 3 for the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, mostly, I mean, thank God Elden Ring showed up. Uh, really makes my life easier. What? It's a video game. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay, cool. Uh- <laughs> it's it's uh-huh. like the most, it's one of the most popular video games right now, but you're not a video game person and you shouldn't be. That's you shouldn't fine. have to be. That's fine. Uh, yeah. So a thing that like was on an episode that was scrapped, but we kind of did want to talk about today is, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm not saying anything that you haven't already told me and are uncomfortable saying, but but you're a uh, you're a sex worker. I am. 
I am a I'm very mediocre dominatrix. Actually, I was going to say when we were talking about English being a shitty language to sing in that I've been getting a lot more requests from people to dirty talk to them in Hindi, but I don't know how to. I don't I know how to be dominated by people emotionally who speak Hindi. A really difficult time thinking about what I would tell people because all of my all of my Hindi is informed by Bollywood. Speaking of soft power mm-hmm. uh, hegemonic expansion by countries that are not the United States, um, I was telling a friend of mine, I was like, "Yeah, I get all these requests to speak in Hindi and dominate people in Hindi." He's like, "What would you say?" And I'm like, "Uh, like." Take that, bitch. Your eyeliner is the color of a rain-bearing cloud. And it's just, that's Sick all I got. Burn. That's all I got. Sickest of burns. That's all I got. Um, but yeah, I've been, um, it's been interesting. I've been exploring the world of mediocre doming as a way to make ends meet. Uh, full disclosure, so on the last podcast episode that I was on, I believe mm-hmm. I mentioned that I used to work in international development. Vaguely, but parts of that podcast were also in a scrapped bit. So Okay. Yeah, so um, I I have what I like to call my Bruce Wayne backstory of yeah. becoming, a, becoming a dominatrix. Please regale us. Sure. I think really one of the reasons I, I'm comfortable sharing this story now is because I'm recognizing how fucked up and capitalist the world of nonprofits is. Gasp. Gasp. <laughs> nonprofits are horrible outsprings of capitalism. I. Okay. So full disclosure, I used to work in international development and I used to work in what was called rule of law or democracy and governance. And I helped. I say helped. I didn't do anything. I, I was expected to fill out paperwork and get grants and send emails uh, to our foreign office uh, mm-hmm. about how the state of law, but more accurately, the state of our programs were progressing. And I worked in the Balkan region, which was pretty cool, actually very cool in retrospect, because that's now a deep a deep part of my life is performing Bulgarian music. But at the time, the fucked up part of that was uh, that I got the job. And after having studied Russian and Uzbek and Tajik for a number of years in post-Soviet Central Asia, they were like, hey, how about you go to a region of Eastern Europe where everyone hates Russians? Here's the Balkans. And I said, all right. (laughs) I mean, now that's everywhere (laughs) now now that's uh, sorry now that's it is everywhere and i want to say that working there cultivated my anger Mm -hmm. that led me to believing i would be a good dom but that's not entirely true one because the first person to convince me that i could be a dom was someone i went to high school with (laughs) oh so you were just you've just always been a mean girl all right i (laughs) i never thought that (laughs) about myself until basically uh 10 years after i met this guy who went to high school with me he um sent me a text while he was on vacation drunk he'd been hitting on me for the last few years and uh prior this was in 2016 and he said something to me along the lines of 
I keep trying to impress you, but you're never impressed, and it just makes me want to be your bitch. Hot. I, I suppose if you if you knew the guy, maybe it wouldn't be that hot. But I mean, probably wouldn't be. I mean, I was just saying that to fill space. Well, I think but... actually, I take that. I actually retract that entirely because mm-hmm. it isn't it isn't hot in the sense that I'm I'm super sexually turned on by that. It's because he's an alpha male from a wealthy suburb. Uh, in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, and um, likes to, in my opinion, still think that he's better than a lot of people. And in that moment, he he became deferential to me. I still remember I was lying in bed when I got the text. Mm-hmm. I think I must have just been chilling out in a t-shirt. It was like near Christmas, and I was just in bed and wondering what the fuck I was doing with my life. And again, this is 2016. Long before I decided <laughs> to try this professionally, <laughs> but um, but the seed was planted. The seed was planted, um, and boy howdy, it has not grown very tall at all, <laughs> which is fine because I'm four eleven. Um, but yeah, I guess the the second part of that was just <sighs> John. I don't know where to start with this. I'm so like I knew what I wanted to say, mm-hmm. and I knew. Am I allowed to tell the listeners that this is a re-recording? Yeah, no, no. Uh, like I said, we we had a recording that got scrapped for a couple of different reasons, and you were like, "Hey, can we can we do a redo?" And I have, you know, uh, nine times out of ten on the Conditional Materials podcast, we don't do redos, uh, only because I'm too lazy. And I try and do a quick turnaround on these. Thank you. But mm-hmm. in general, like, uh, this is just sort of like, yeah, no, if people I interview don't like the interview they do, they have the full, like, ability to say, hey, I don't want this to go out or I want to redo it. You know, and what sucks is, like, I really liked the flow of that conversation. But one, I feel like, I feel like I've had a chance to sit with what I'm about to say, which mm-hmm. is my deep-seated frustration with not just the nonprofit industrial complex, but capitalism in general. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. You're being critical of capitalism so on my podcast that is that is that that takes its name from material conditions. It's, it's the weight of all of my sadness is hitting this is hitting this pop filter at once. <laughs> It's it's okay. That's what these pop filters are made for. Pop uh, filters block out my tears. <laughs> it's one of the reasons uh, we use pop filters. But also, like, please be as anti-capitalist as you want on this anti-capitalist podcast. Well, okay. So here's what I'm going to say. Because I maybe this is tied into me being a dumb. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm calling it part of my backstory because that's what it is, right? Yeah. I've worked mm-hmm. my ass off in the humanitarian aid sector. And when the pandemic hit, it actually coincided with a change in management to my organization where basically they were real shitty to me. Um, They started sort of really hunkering down on this ableist ass, just notion that in order for you to be good at managing things or good at thinking conceptually about international development Mm -hmm. and let me just make it clear in case i in case i didn't for the listeners and maybe for listeners who aren't familiar international development is the field 
where or the industry where generally the U.S. government or frankly any government gives money to what they call an implementer organization to implement humanitarian programs. So these are programs that aren't managed directly by the donor government, but it's more ways, frankly, of bloating an industry so that you create more support for neocolonialist, expansionist projects. Well, right, because um, basically, like, a government goes, I don't want to be responsible for managing this money. I'll find a group of people who will do something with it. I'll find a group of white people in America to do yeah, something uh-huh. with it. Because, presumably... If it was humanitarian and not a business or a capitalist venture, you would have the ability to hand that money over to people you you... trust in country because that's the reason we have things like embassies. Right. Like you would just take your stacks of money and distribute them to the people who you think, you know, distribute them to give them to somebody who knows the people that actually need it and those people get the money and that's it. Right. Surprise, that's not how things work. <laughs> so An easy way to think about this is all those companies who are like, every time you buy a pair of shoes from us, we'll give a pair of shoes to somebody in need in a third world country. <laughs> I think giving a pair of shoes to people in the countries we worked with would have actually been a more equitable distribution of the funding that we Probably. <laughs> I, mean, th- I mean, the big problem that I've heard from that is that like, uh, what you're doing is just removing the ability from people in that country to be cobblers and produce their own goods and sell them to people in that country for like a reliable like for what they're worth and basically just don't I mean yeah whatever like, you know basically it's I'm, like it would just be better if you gave people in that country money because then they can buy things that they actually need well i'm also reluctant to rely on that metaphor one because you're a white colonialist pig damn Um, (laughs) she got me she got me folks i got got i play the john got got sound great now to think of a new john got got sound this is actually maybe a good time for me to mention that i got a new sub last night (laughs) i was gonna tell you this in the car but then i said this is actually uh i need to tell you um on the podcast is i got a sub last night Uh um who uh wanted to engage me for specifically pet play which is where your sub acts as your pet Mm -hmm. and i like that because my my tone of doming is very much nurturing and mm-hmm. commanding i can be disciplinarian but i'm not i'm not inclined to beat the shit out of people <laughs> no but you're inclined to roll up a newspaper yeah back them on the nose. yeah I, I i really do relate to my subs the way i call them pet affectionately mm-hmm. all of them and so i i feel like that is that's my comfort area so i was really excited when he said i want to engage in pet play and <laughs> And then we had a a preliminary call kind of mm-hmm. to make sure that I was the person he was looking for so he didn't spend a ton of money on me. Sure. Because um, for anyone who's interested in my rates, it is <laughs> I charge uh, $2.99 per minute for over the phone, um, $3.99 per minute if you want to Skype, 
Um, obviously, I don't take off my clothes or anything like that, but some people just like when I watch, and frankly, that's less work for me. Um, the downside is the platform that I use takes uh, a third of my money. Boo. Boo. Uh, Boo capitalism. Some bullshit. And (laughs) I I feel like if if anyone who's listening wants to pay me directly to be my dog, uh, I would be more than happy to indulge that. Links in the show notes. (laughs) Links in the show notes. Um, Bring your own collar and your own dog bowl. Uh, I, I wanted to ask this up. If they'd be able to eat ethnic food out of a dog bowl. And he he was like, yeah, of course I can eat whatever you put in a dog bowl. And then instead of being a domineering dom like I was supposed to be, I just started asking him <laughs> how many foods he could eat without the use of possible thumbs. <laughs> I, just, I remember asking him. I was like, hey, I'm really into I'm really into Vietnamese food. Do you think you could eat bun me out of a dog bowl? And he he was so he was so obedient. He was like, yes, Mr. Yes, Mr. Sully, I'll eat whatever you want. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> bun me though. <laughs> that was that was my sticking point. I because I really wanted to he said he said, you should just feed me ghoul because I am your pet. I am your slave. I don't deserve the same food as you. And <laughs> I was just like, just, even I'm I just, have standards. I'm just thinking, like, I just don't think it would be easy to eat pame out of a out of a bowl. You you because like I feel like you'd really like work yourself into a tizzy over the bun. Yeah, I. That's what I. Thank you. That's what I was trying to tell him. <laughs> like, I mean, the individual ingredients are generally okay, mm-hmm. but like getting like like depending on like the consistency of that bow, you're you're gonna have a hard time like just taking it down with your teeth. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. And also soup becomes difficult and there's a lot of delicious soups. I I felt very this is again part of my nurturing. <laughs> this is before I realized I was a nurturing dom and there was that particular flavor mm-hmm. of dom because then you're just sort of stuck with a foodie dom. <laughs> just he told me that his previous mistress used to feed him gruel and he said is just just, you know, un it was just oatmeal cooked in water. <laughs> I was like, no cinnamon? <laughs> Nothing? Ugh. Um, no cut up fruit for nutrition. Um but um but anyways, this this new sub that I got last night, mm-hmm. um <laughs> he he wanted to engage me for pet play. I was down. I called him and we chatted a bit and I said, you know, what are you interested in? And he uh, you know, he said, I really want to, you know, hump a pillow. That's what he does. He, mm-hmm. he enjoys being a horny dog and getting laughed at and patronized and, you know, uh, given obedience training by a mistress. And, uh, then he told me that he was a white man and he felt like he wanted to be shamed extra by a mm. woman of color. And this is where, if I was a dog, my ears would have perked up. My you were just perked- like, you cracked your knuckles, and it's just like, it's Melhouse's time to shine. Milhouse- <laughs> Basically, I like we're bringing Milhouse back. Um, but <laughs> um, I, I felt 
super excited. And uh, then as it turns out, when we started Skyping, that mm-hmm. my, my video wasn't working. So I, I started asking him questions about what he does. And he said that he, I will keep this very vague, uh-huh. that he worked in the government military industrial complex. Okay. And I, <laughs> and I just remember thinking in my head, I was like, and you asked me to call you a colonizer? I would have done that for free from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> I would have meant every minute of it. God, now you can really say it with some feeling behind I it. I can. But what was sad is that when uh, when he was doing, when he was being a pet for me, I actually, <laughs> I couldn't find it in myself at the moment to talk about colonialism because I was so distraught <laughs> over Aww. all the way. It's colonialism is a massive failure. And I guess to, to go back to international development, you know, I I feel like your metaphor of, of saying that you take away opportunities for people when you when you say produce the product mm-hmm. or the, the goods sold is is not accurate because you know, on the one hand it's not accurate. Sorry if I'm telling you how wrong you are. Oh, no, um, no, no. Please tell me how wrong I am. I'm not paying for this, but I'll, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But that's, that, that is how it has been explained to me before. But if I'm saying something wrong, I want to be able to say I it. Guess, I guess I would, I would clarify what <laughs> you're saying with this, is that international development is this, it, it offers this horrible system wherein, one, you're immediately disparaging or devaluing local expertise Mm -hmm. and that was something that i had to really sit with in a way that made me profoundly uncomfortable when i was working in international development because i remember having a team in actually um i never really felt like they vibed with me i felt like there was not really a sense of them they're very kind people. They're very nice people. Mm-hmm. But I just I just didn't feel like I could ever be on the same level as them uh, because they were so smart. They knew everything, you know. And at that point, why the fuck was I there, you know, if not to uh, send emails and process invoices, which which is not what I wanted to do. It's not why I have a master's degree and... It, you know sure. that sounds that sounds classist and it is but that's not why i pursued that's not why i pursued a higher education and i wasn't getting i wasn't feeling satisfied also uh processing invoices is ableist as shit um this is actually looping back i'm just mm-hmm. closing circles everyone yeah, yeah. Clo- keep um, closing circles <laughs> i was like going back to the idea that international development is ableist as shit um there's this notion that in order for you to understand these like grand conceptual theories and in order for you to be able to participate in these big conceptual conversations or write grants or talk to donors, you need to be able to process invoices first. And it is wrong. Well, right. I mean, that's that's a thing that like uh, people struggle with because the idea is that, you know, uh, everybody is supposed to be able to do every part of every job now. Yeah. When in the past, it's like, no, no, no. We had people who were deeply specialized in knowing or being able to do particular things um, because it's important to be able to do that. Like people who are specialists or people who have 
specializations are really important to actually doing jobs correctly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I I feel that. I, I also just feel like it's, it's government bureaucracy, um, which is horrible. And so I think, um, you know, so the first part of clarifying your metaphor about how, you know, us sending over, Mm -hmm. us sending over quote unquote democracy to a foreign country doesn't, uh, doesn't mitigate their ability to quote unquote produce democracy. This is all wrong to produce law (laughs) because the expertise is already there. Right. And I think, I think no one on the American side is truly willing to sit with how, uh, redundant their job is. I mean, America is fine being redundant at their job as long as nobody points out that they're redundant. This at their is job. true, and this is oh my god! I I cannot tell you how many people I've made really angry by saying your job is redundant, <laughs> and also you're you're the agent of an oppressive state, and right. uh, that's um, you know, if you want, to, I'm not saying that I'm better or worse than you. I'm not saying that you're a horrible person, but you just have to understand you're an agent of this horrible system, right? And so also just, I guess, pivoting from that, the Uh second clarification on this, I hate, I hate that this is how I'm saying it, that America, America produces democracy and gives it to another country is, is that when you create channels of transferring material wealth in country, you replicate the systems of privilege along which you create structures to pass on material wealth Mm -hmm. in this country. And that is actually what leads to corruption and patriarchalism and uh, the exclusion of minorities in various countries. And uh, then, frankly, a situation in in many places, and I'm thinking, thinking, actually, I was going to say Afghanistan, but actually this is in so many places that you know, the more adjacent you are to being recognized as someone in power by the U.S. government, just the more money you have to, frankly, do nothing. Um, well, right, because, I mean, America, unless it has, like, a very specific game plan, mm-hmm. they just go to the people who already have, like, some level of existing power and just kind of, like, pump them full of extra funds and privilege, right? Yeah, and I, I wish I could... I wish I had the bandwidth to give concrete examples. Um, but I, one, I'm full of kebabs. Uh, sure. We just had Persian food and I was thinking rice would really hit the spot and it hit the spot, <laughs> but now I can't move from the spot. <laughs> shout out to the spot. Shout out to the spot. Um, shout out also to Moby Dick. Um, amazing DMV based uh, kebab place, which is fantastic. Um, Delightful kebab. But um, I... I feel like I also don't have to give concrete examples, right? I think this this should all make sense to people, and yet it makes them really mad when I point it out. Well, I mean, I, I think this is like it's the international extension of pointing out white privilege. It's it's it the, is, it, yeah. yeah, it's like hey, you know, you know what you're doing is pointless, right? And people yeah. get like really upset because they, you know, just like people who uh, really love Marvel movies. Uh, base their entire personalities on really loving Marvel movies or really love Disney. Like I or feel anime like, or Crusader Kings. Yeah, or anime John. or Crusader Kings. John. Um yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of people define their life by their work. And yeah. uh again, bad capitalist thing. 
but also when you're doing something that is inherently detrimental to another group of people and that's the definition of your work on some level like being told that the thing that you're doing even when you think you're doing the right thing is the wrong thing will definitely elicit like a very negative response yeah for sure and like i don't i think it's also wrong to say that international development or frankly any industry is just straight evil right with the possible exception of many extractive sure like naturally extractive industries um and yeah well i mean like again uh i'm being hyperbolic and reductive and i should point that out and that's okay yeah that's what that's that's why we're on a podcast yeah uh (laughs) uh-huh people can't tell us to be (laughs) be less hyperbolic and less reductive fuck you people and fuck your jobs you're worse than we are no i'm kidding um you're not (laughs) And I'm really happy that this is the result, because last time I was like, and fuck people who have a problem with what you do. And you were like, oh, and I was going to apologize to those people. Yeah. (laughs) I have. This is why I don't. I'm trying really hard in my personal backstory to find out why I decided to be a dom. And I I wonder if one, that's because I don't want to get naked for people on the Internet and I don't appreciate entertaining the idea of like hardly anyone who sought me out you know on the phone sex line Mm -hmm. that i am a part of that is how you access my sex working abilities has been has contacted me with the intent of uh (laughs) like i want to put my genital in and or around your genital like it's just it's just that's not that's not the vibe I give off apparently, which is good. That's not the vibe I intend to give off, um, on the internet. <laughs> um, not even on, giving off vibes on the internet, not even on dating, not even on dating apps as it turns out. <laughs> but I, um, I think that, you know, it's, it, there's something that I really want to tap into and figure out about my experience working in nonprofits which also full disclosure, like I, I now work at other nonprofits at artistic nonprofits. And I I'm, mean, but at least you're helping support arts. Well, I, but, but that's also the thing, right? International development does help support. It does help support programs mm-hmm. in different countries. Right. And I, I, you know, if you have a program that says, you know, help, help girls get to school where they wouldn't have gotten to school before, like you're helping people. There are, you are yeah, there are positive there are positive outcomes of what you're doing, right? But that doesn't negate or mitigate the fact that you are strengthening an institution that is that is looking to be bolstered in its capacity to be awful to other people mm-hmm. because of the work that you're doing. Well, I mean, the other thing that, and I've been thinking about this a little for a couple of different reasons over the past couple of weeks, but like um, another big thing is that it, it creates the expectation of a form that is relative to America in that it it creates like forms and ideas that are like deeply like American in a way that maybe don't need to be in that like a state has to look like X, a state has to look like Y, a state has to act in certain ways and has to do these things. And just like people are all individuals and people all have their own like individuality 
cultures and groups and what makes a state a state is different in many different ways and shouldn't be held to like the standard of America or the standard of like other European countries, because quite honestly, like that's a very narrow cast idea of like what a state and what a government is or should be or how it should act. And so like, I guess my thing is like by us as like by us. And when I say us, I mean me, the white, the, the well-meaning white people of the world. Like there are some. It's (laughs) All right, the self, the self delusional, the self delusions, like well meaning white people of the world. I'll just point out real fast here that I grew up with caste privilege. I'm like a caste privileged or dominant caste uh, Hindu Indian American person. I my experience vis a vis privilege is so adjacent to whiteness. Like, we can cover that in many other <laughs> podcast episodes, sure. but I I I feel like I need to. Um, neg John a little bit just to one put him in his place because that's what mm-hmm. I do um, but two also to just remind you that you're a white person I am yeah I, I was just and that's you... not okay <laughs> just no, need I, you to know that <laughs> I was I was thinking about a lot of this because um, recently I watched uh, some people play uh, these two very interesting uh, visual novels one is We Know the Devil and the other one is uh, I'm blanking on the name of it and I will put a uh I, I will come back in later uh okay. <laughs> uh to edit myself saying the correct name um do you want us to leave a pause for the title hold on hey there folks it's john from the future and john from the past was thinking about heaven will be mine and the people who recently played through it were renata price and ricardo Contreras from the waypoint podcast uh highly recommend fantastic playthroughs there we go. There we go. Anyways, uh, <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, future me, for for correcting my bullshit. You're welcome, past me, and might I say, you sound fantastic and handsome. <laughs> but um, no, the the two of them, uh, the, the, these two games uh, are a duology by the same game studio, by the same writer, and they're mostly about um, like trans and queerness, mm-hmm. and um, what form and shape our bodies and our minds mm-hmm. are. And that a lot of this is just a a construct. It is all yes. like like it is all theoretical construct that we are supposed to look away, that we are supposed to be away. Mm-hmm. And I think that extends to countries and that extends to like groups of people. And that like there are places in the world that got told that they're a country, even though it's that's not what they wanted to be. Or that's not like what or how they wanted to be affiliated with each other. Well, I think just real fast like the 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 notion of a state is is also a problematic epistemology because the idea of stateness is in and of itself a definition that was crafted by western european and mm-hmm. colonial powers right and so the fact that we are living in a world order that is dominated by states and nation states and where in fact to attain statehood is a measure of necessary definition for people looking to exercise their self agency, mm-hmm. even though it is a harmful framework for, you know, creating another apparatus that establishes power through defining borders and by defining borders defines its own violence, defines a military and defines its own military capacity. Like the state apparatus is dangerous, right. but we live in a world where 
for example, Palestine deserves to have a state. And that is something that people need to fight over. So, like, I think similar to the conversation around gender, right, where the ultimate goal, I think, of discussions around gender is is to not have trans and non-binary identities exist as alterities to being cisgender. Mm -hmm. Um, But to sort of be in a place where one gender is abolished, that is like the longest term goal. Mm -hmm. And in the interim to have the discussion whereupon in a place where trans identities are constantly being attacked um, explicitly by our shitty fucking governments um, that, you know, also claiming transness is, is part of moving towards that longer term goal. So I think, I think what, what you're saying about states isn't incorrect, but I think also part of the part of the reason why I felt really compelled to leave the world of international development. Well, I mean, there's like a couple reasons, right? Like the the first one was because I I suspect I might have ADHD. There's a lot of reason in my life to think that I. Actually, I take that back. Even if I don't suspect I have ADHD, there is a part of my brain that's never been able to handle forms. I cannot fill out a form for the life of me. Mm-hmm. I have a difficult time paying bills. I Now that I'm a contractor, I cannot even process my own invoices. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, send over your invoice. We have to pay you. And I'm like, what is How do I do this? And it's just something that I've never been good at. And that is ultimately, despite all of the labor that I put into that workplace put into that industry, like learning about a whole new region of the world, trying to hold my own in conversations, like just crying myself to sleep multiple nights a week, just so much work. I, at the end of it, it was just, you can't process these invoices. And I remember saying multiple times, you know, then you're not respecting my expertise. And that is ultimately what, what got me out of there was the fact that I, recognize that I wasn't being respected in that workplace, which Mm -hmm. demanded that of me. Right. And that's like, that's part of the shitty thing about also being in so many industries, but speaking specifically from one that relies on USG funding (laughs) is that it is reliant on the work of people to perpetuate a bureaucracy in order to have the people maybe doing the more quote unquote interesting work at the top or getting the cool trips to places Mm -hmm. or getting the press appearances or whatever. Like it's, uh, it's frustrating to, to see that being the natural progression of things when it's not logically you being able to fill out an invoice does not preclude you from being able to, or your inability to my inability to, fill out an invoice did not preclude me from being able to speak somewhat authoritatively, at least in an American context about politics in the Balkans. But the second thing is, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to just joke and say, I wish I knew like a good international person. The only person I can think of is like, do you think Henry Kissinger is like really good at filling out forms? Cause like, I don't think so. And yet Henry Kissinger got to be the, top fucking ghoul of america's like foreign like foreign diplomacy apparatus for so long you know what's weird is that i know someone who's like palestinian american and they once bragged they posted a picture of themselves with henry kissinger on facebook and i remember just being like 
this is well, that's, this is that, strange. That feels wrong. It was. It did feel really wrong. That feels like I'm gonna have to cut this out. But that feels like one of those times where it's like you should have thing. You, I know that you can't do something, but something, but you wish something had happened. Yeah, for sure. I, Again, it is the, the, one of the greatest sins in the world is that Henry Kissinger is still fucking alive. It is. Yeah, I think it it made me reflect also on the fact that I am a brown woman um, in international de- development because I also feel like there's a sense of um, that false representation or the myth of representation under capitalism, right? Um, and the myth of representation in a colonialist system which is to say, like, if you are a brown woman in the government, presumably, like, you are going to act, you are going to leverage government capacities to act in the interest of brown women, whereas no one was doing that before. And that is partially the case, but that is also mostly not the case because you are operating within the very limited constructs and parameters afforded to you by a government apparatus that is inherently white supremacist and patriarchal anyways. Right. Um, it's, it's like one of those things where it's like, you're there, but they could just take that away at any moment. So you kind of still have to play the game. You have to play the game to an extent, but also like, what is the, what is the solution? You can't have a, the, if the problem is the structure, if the problem mm-hmm. that is, impacting everyone's life like it's like saying that you're going to solve capitalism by being by becoming the new jeff bezos right right it's like you you can't you can't solve like systemic and structural inequality by creating a benetton ad no or a, or a what is it a pepsi ad um, right having or, kendall yeah. jenner hand a cop pepsi or whatever the fuck shit she did exactly um, that I family mean, has so much money that family has so, so much, much money, money. Did you know you just need to get up off your ass and do some work, John? Really? Because I thought your your dad needed to be O.J. Simpson's best friend and like be a wealthy attorney and parlay all of that into like a reality TV show somehow. Also that, and <laughs> I I think uh, yeah, it's um, the idea of representation. It sucks. It sucks, right? Because I mm-hmm. actually recently. I don't know, there's like a Marvel movie coming out with like a South Asian lead and I feel like more South Asian people in my life on social media have been like, yay, this is the thing that's going to materially change us. And it's like, how the whole... So it's like one of those things where it's like having more people of diverse backgrounds in writers' rooms to create a more diverse, like front-facing culture is okay that's that's good but that can't be the only thing that happens but that also that also still i'm sorry i i feel like i'm this is this is my problem right because my my problem is and what i was going to say Mm -hmm. is that you're still relying on a centralized mode of cultural production to dictate what most people get to see and that means that you're still going to have moments of exclusion, right? I don't care if, and this is a conversation that literally happened with me and my closest friends, which was really, really fucked up. But I posted something when Mindy Kaling's show Never Have I Ever came out. 
haven't seen that one. Really. It's about it's about an Indian American experience mm-hmm. in high school. And actually, I didn't I didn't see the show because mm-hmm. I didn't have time. I was working at this abusive ass job in international development. And um, but I, I remember seeing at the time I was exploring caste privilege and my caste identity because I felt like I had to be responsible for the fact that this is a part of my privilege I hadn't explored. And it does a lot of shitty things to caste oppressed people. Uh, so I um, saw an article that said, never have I ever seen anything so casteist written by a person who I believe is from a caste oppressed or caste marginalized background. And she wrote, you know, these are all the, these are all the places where I saw casteism manifest and, mm-hmm. um, I believed it was ableist for this reason and blank blank and stuff. And um, I remember people came for that, even though I said something along the lines of, I haven't seen the show, but it's good to see someone not being satisfied with just representation because Mm -hmm. it's representation on an inherently, you're never going to have a central mode of cultural production that's going to include everybody because that's never the point of a central mode of cultural production of production of knowledge is never to be as inclusive as possible. It is to show what will be the most sustaining measure of practice for the institution. It is, it is not, it is not, catering to or it's not serving the people it is a self-serving mechanism for ensuring that that institution gets money gets Mm -hmm. views gets you know applications or jobs or people working for it right and so that's why our podcast is so popular by the way yeah 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 for sure because we serve so many quadrants um well you know you're not a centralized mode of production you don't have to run your podcast by the pentagon which is a thing that i'll action movies need to do i I mean we don't need to but we definitely do send it to our guy in the pentagon Mm -hmm. shout outs to jerry also shout outs we haven't said this in a long time but shout outs to the cia person who is supposed to be listening to this podcast but definitely isn't um that's uh (laughs) amazing um i um yeah but i remember like south asian people that i know like including people that hadn't spoken to me for a long time like came for me to say you know, this is my story and I really saw myself in it. And I still remember like two of my closest friends, um, both of whom are Asian American. Mm -hmm. One is South Asian American, like just, just really went off on me for saying like, how dare you? This is, I felt like you silenced me because of sharing this. I felt like you villainized the show, which really resonated with my story. And part of me is part of me, I think I said to them, but I don't know to what extent they remember this, to what extent I remember this. I remember it because I, rem- I remember being very hurt. Um, they they called me close-minded, which made me very upset. <laughs> um, they said, um, I think I said something like, "It. I don't have to watch that story because it's my story and I'm, I'm comfortable with knowing what my life is, mm-hmm. that I don't, I don't need to see it represented on a screen to understand how valid it is. Right? I understand that I've I've searched for community to share my story with and that has been a far more interactive and rewarding process mm-hmm. than watching a story on the screen that I find may relate to 
And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have related to the story that was being portrayed, but it's not, it's not something that holds me or affirms me by its very existence. It mirrors what I already know is a reality and mm -hmm. didn't need to see marketed to a bunch of people in order for me to feel confident that this is my story. Well, and I mean, from the sound of it, it's also like, if you're so invested in it, if these people are so invested in it, validating their own experience, then like it, you know, you being like, hey, like there are people who, you know, uh, don't like like find this to be not enough or find this to be like lacking in substantive ways that are difficult for them to process. I think that that's like. That's the like that's the thing about media critique that people don't like. People just want people to be like, yeah, I like it. I think it's good. It's great. But like if you like a piece of media, you should feel confident to like see it warts and all. Like and I mean yeah. like like or like like not to tie your identity so closely to a piece of media is another important thing. I don't know. I may maybe like I I might be totally off on this. I I see where you're coming from, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I definitely don't disagree with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think that part of it, yeah, is people stake their stake their identities on on someone else being able to relate their story for them. And I think that this ties back to one of our original points of conversation, which is that people tie their identities to their jobs, yeah. and it's it's very it's very strange and i think it's not something that we're used to to hold each other for as complicated and as sort of chaotic in a really delicious way that we all are right and i think there needs to be patience and intention in that process when you hold people but i also think that you know there's no perhaps we're all too burnt out perhaps um people who have good intentions for the work they do. And I can think of, you know, medical practitioners who have been mad at me for saying that, you know, their industry sucks, you know, social work people who, who know their industry sucks, but like, you know, academics, the list goes on, you know, if you, you dedicate a part of your life to, you dedicate 40 hours a week, at least to what you think is helping people you maybe have a difficult time holding space for the fact that you're still an agent of an impressive industry and mm -hmm. an impressive institution. And I, I don't know where I was in sort of the, the outline of my story of being in international development, but I think one of the really, the really painful things I've had to sit with, and maybe this is why the conversation isn't, kind of as fun and upbeat as it was the last time we recorded mm -hmm. this, but I think it is more real is I, I voiced this to some people without realizing how much it would hurt me. And it really did, which was, um, I, so, uh, for, I know John knows this, yeah. but for the listener, I've been, um, because I studied central Asia and speak middling Persian and had an Afghan advisor in grad school uh when the situation in Afghanistan went down I had some friends who were there and I'm still supporting some families who are in the process of trying to get out and um I 
I, I was having a moment where um, I, the sort of the way that the evacuation effort has been set up is that it's a lot of signal threads where people are just kind of sharing intel. And I'm just going to say this. I feel a lot of violence in those groups, right? I feel, I, I know I shared this with you that mm-hmm. I had seen a conversation where some people were sort of talking lightheartedly about how uh, they had to tell their people in their groups who had just come to the United States, if their names were Mahbuba or Mahbub, which means like beloved one, that, you know, they might have to tell them, oh, in English, by the way, in case you want to change your name, boob means a boob in English. And like, there's a gross word in it. So, you know, you might want to think about changing your name. And I... I called it out pretty gently to be like, hi, don't have that talk with them. Mm-hmm. Have the talk with Americans yeah. that uh, these names aren't funny. <laughs> right. M- m- maybe, you know, some white people should just have some fucking respect. Yeah. And uh, I I got sort of immediately, you know, whatever, shat on for saying a very reasonable request to not be fucking racist about people's names. Um, I've also seen people say things like Afghan people need to learn how to use birth control. I've seen uh, people talk about how Islamic education is incompatible with STEM, which is Islamophobic. I'm not here to support organized religion in any way. And I know that it's not my place as someone who's not Muslim to speak to that tension that people who have lived in Muslim majority countries can speak to. But to to simply infer that Islamic education is um, is, you know, not as good as Western colonial education also, fuck STEM. Fuck STEM. Yeah. Like, that's the other. Uh, sorry. From, from, I'm sorry, from the white people side, it's like, wh- why does STEM matter? Like, like, like uh, you know, again. From the Indian side, I can tell you why STEM matters because it's why I live in the United States. Fair. <laughs> because my dad was good at it. Um, I, again, as somebody who is, is an artsy boy, uh, obviously. That's why, podcast, that's why we're recording a podcast. Yeah, uh, and who can't, who can barely function in a traditional office setting. Um, you and me both sister um <laughs> but on the one hand like i i witness all this violence and um actually probably the most profoundly upsetting thing of the last few weeks is how um uh zelensky or ukraine rather recently said that they would drop all visa requirements for anyone who would come to fight um russia on behalf of ukraine and um and I'm not even saying this ironically. This was not said as a joke. It was not said sarcastically. It was jumped on as a solution for Afghans who are trying to get out. Sorry. I, you can see that I'm making a face mm-hmm. of just like, f- fuck? Yeah. Fuck. Where the rest of the world is making space to hold European refugees there are people in the Afghan evacuation effort who, and let me just point this out. There is someone who's been on these signal threads for a few months now that like, there are, there are high ranking security officials who are in life or death situations who might welcome that opportunity because it leaves them with a way of getting out of directly being hunted by the Taliban. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to sort of argue around that, that important nuance, but what I will say is that where the rest of the world is looking to preserve European lives, the people who are who have tasked themselves with protecting Afghan lives are willing to throw themselves 
into a place where they would not throw white bodies. They are throwing brown bodies into situations of danger, believing that simply because they're in Ukraine, it's going to be better than Afghanistan, which is not an active war zone. It's not. It's a Uh a horrible place to be for a lot of people, but like it's it's not an active war zone. Right. Um, Yeah. You you don't. There's a difference. There, there's a there's a huge difference. Yeah. So, like, on the one hand, I've been seeing all of this. On the other hand, it's been really hard for me to recognize that all of these people saying these horrible, violent things are people who used to work for the government, maybe still work for the government, State Department, some, you know, fancy nonprofit, NGO. A lot of them are in the military. Mm-hmm. And they've been able to get a ton of people out. And I have not been able to get almost anyone out and i've basically barely been able to support people that's the reason why i am in sex work still even though i've you know been fortunate enough to pivot to an industry where i really like what i do and can make peace with the violence of the nonprofit industrial complex because frankly the organizations i work with have made that peace for themselves and acknowledge you know Acknowledge the shortcomings of the system, which is not is not a solvency to the system's violence, but is a helpful self-awareness that we can all sort of negotiate around and work on together. Yeah, sometimes Um, sometimes life is about finding the things that suck the least uh, and not the empirical best. Yeah, for sure. But I, you know, one sex work pays pays a lot, um, pays a lot more per hour than any other job I have, which is great um and uh i get to watch um you know dog boys frolic uh for me and uh you also get to be mean to people i do get to be mean to some people um (laughs) and not just me and our friendship and not just not just john (laughs) um but um but hey i get to be mean to you for free so i really appreciate call it a perk yeah Um, no it's it's a perk of our friendship um i I feel like it's been it's been something I've had to sit with that I distance myself from power, the power afforded to me by working proximate to USG, proximate to all these people in international aid. And it feels like I gave up the ability to help the most people because I didn't have I don't have the power of an institution behind me. I only have myself. And frankly, I only have the power of how much I earn. And that is, it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to think that it's okay for you to not be part of a violent system and also help less people. Like, it's, I I feel, I feel really, it's very disempowering. It's really. Sure, sure. And it's it's not something where I'm, you know, obviously there are plenty of funny stories I have about being a dom, you know, the one good use of my degree, which is I can save that for the end. Yeah, that's... that that's, <laughs> that is a great story. We talked about it a little bit on the last time we recorded this. Really great. But I mean, it does, you know, uh, it's a lot. It is a lot, and I I feel the rub of doing sex work as an act of... It is not survival sex work in the way that it is for many other sex workers. It is an, a thing that I opt into 
it, it was for survival maybe last year when I didn't know what jobs I could get. Um, and now I'm in a position where whatever I earn through sex work goes to mutual aid or supporting these families. And it's sometimes really, it's really taxing on my ability. There was like a, a few months where I actually lost a couple of dedicated subs because I, I couldn't be present for them. And there's opportunities for professional development that cost money that I haven't been able to afford, even though I feel like they would be good for my practice as a whole. Um, and there's just times when you don't want to be me. (laughs) um, I couldn't be me. I just, you know, it's not even like, it's not even that this anger manifests. And I think because also as a Dom, the expectation is that your anger fits whatever your, your client wants to see. Right. And, you know, subs are, subs aren't just submissive to anyone. That's the the special thing about a dom a dom sub pairing or bond is that there is there is sort of this jigsaw thing that needs to happen yeah. where you know like I said some people don't want to have the shit beat out of them. There's a guy who wants to you know play with a pillow and bark while he you know humps his bed, um, and that right. was the thing that I, I watched last night and I loved it. Oh, that was so no, fun. I mean, uh, boy, I guess I'm revealing a secret here. Um, you know, a- as somebody who is is dominant in personal relationships, no, it it there's a lot of work in making sure that you are compatible with the person who uh, feels comfortable and trusts you enough yeah. to submit. Like, it's not like, you know, the, the the world will tell you that it is a one size fits all sort of thing. But no, there are people that I have had relationships with where it hasn't worked because like what they want out of a dominant relationship is not what I'm capable of giving them. And yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, it's like just because you're not, you know, uh, putting uh, things in places or doing stuff, it's still a lot of work. It's yeah. like it like. It, like personally there's a lot of emotional labor that takes place in like setting a scene and yeah. figuring out what the right combination of words to use and interviewing people to make sure that like you're not gonna say something that messes them up yeah for sure um yeah absolutely and i think that you know again not to not to say that sex work is better or worse than any other industry because first of all um all work is bad um all consumption under capitalism is unethical and all work under capitalism is unethical um and i think everyone who's hearing that for the first time needs to fucking (laughs) sit with it sit with it this is not first of all assigning yourself a moral value that is good or bad is generally not helpful unless you're a billionaire in which case eat yourself um and then let us eat you also. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I I feel like, um, yes, sit with that reality. Everyone's job sucks. It is, an, it is almost definitely a tool being used, or you are almost definitely mm-hmm. a tool being used to strengthen institution. And that is how you get money. And that is how you support yourself. And that is okay for you. Just please be self-aware of 
I, the limitations of your institutions. And please be aware of the hypocrisy that we are all living because it, if we don't acknowledge it and if we're not acting with a semblance of self-awareness about how we are limited if we consider our impact or our change in this world to be defined by our occupation, mm-hmm. then we don't we don't imagine what we could do for people outside of the work that we are expected to do by these institutions, right? If I, and this is, this is, I guess, maybe the most frustrating thing about coming from the DC world, not that everyone in DC is the same by any means, but like coming from the international development sort of government, military, industrial complexes, how many people don't, don't recognize that like myself included that like we might have like MAs and political science or whatever. We basically all write our theses on how coups and revolutions in other countries have failed and then come to the United States and we're just like, we got it. No, we can do this. And like, we're so good at doing coups. We're so good at doing coups. But like, honestly, the, the truth of it is, is that it's a very unimaginative bunch of people because whatever solutions you envision are solutions that need to be passed through countless government hoops. And you don't recognize what a toll that takes on your ability to imagine what you can be doing for people. And if someone had told me, (laughs) if someone had told me a year and a half ago that I would be able to support two families that were not my own um, and help someone explore their colonizer dog fantasy (laughs) um and make them feel more affirmed and make other people feel alive through sex work i would have been like that's a strange that's a strange turn of events well i can't believe that happened for you amitha cheers (laughs) i mean i do want to say that um that i do think that like sex work is one of the closer occupations towards having control of your own means of production (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and your own means I, of reproduction i i i said this to a friend once who is um a scholar of like Mar- i would call him a scholar of marxist leninist mm-hmm. stuff i'm not gonna well, i'm not gonna sure. go any deeper into what what he does because i don't fully know and i don't want to talk talk Fair. about his the expertise that's his yeah. um i remember telling him that and he was like don't start with me don't start with me and i was like uh, are we going to talk about how Marx was a terrible misogynist who believed that women should be collectively owned, or are we just going to? Um, but also, um, I, I, I feel like that's not when you say own the means of production. I still work. Like I have a phone sex operating right. platform, and you know that that is very clearly not the means of my production because they take a third of my income. No, no, and... that that's fair, and I think that's like. That is part of like the capital exploitation. And I, I, I do understand that. Um, I just like think that out of a lot of things, uh, it is on a certain level, not all the levels, but there is like a lot more personal autonomy on what you choose to do and how you choose to do it. Like in, I guess, meeting the world on your conditions a little bit closer to the ideal, but maybe... I'm I mean, it also it also depends, right? Like my ideal as a dom would just be to have people listen to me vent um, and pay me t- a ton more money. But also. I'm, oh, so being a podcaster. Oh, shit. 
<laughs> Except I get paid and people listen to me. Hey. Um, but I, as a chubby brown woman, like I'm not going to get the same attention as a tall, bodacious white woman dressed entirely in spandex. Um, not least because I've never worn spandex, nor do I want to. Um, and as it turns out, not wearing spandex or lycra is apparently a detriment to my ability to be a dom. I'm like, let me be... Let me be a dom who wears long flowy skirts, please. I just want to be the maxi dress dom. Look, there, there's a dom for all moods. Don't worry. A dom for all seasons. Um, <laughs> but I um, I also just, just want to say, like, I, uh, I think it's been really, really difficult because I feel like sometimes when I get one of the reasons I really wanted to re-record this podcast is because mm -hmm. I felt like I was getting preachy and not putting enough caveats on my own thoughts. Sure. And I'm putting more caveats now and recognizing how compelled I feel to justify what I do for the world and for myself, not as a sex worker, not as a dom, but as someone who feels very strongly like I had to move away from an industry that is oppressively white supremacist and patriarchal and misogynist and awful mm -hmm. um, and neocolonialist and unimaginative um, and exploitative and ableist. There's so many things like I, I feel like I have to, the, the point that I really wanted to sort of explore a little bit with you more was this, you know, it, it can feel really disempowering if you, if you think about, how much less shit you can do when you're not proximate to an organization. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you're able to imagine and sort of reinvent, not even reinvent, but sort of recalibrate what makes you happy. Right. Yeah. Like I don't get happy when I see an Indian person on TV um, because that, that's not something that makes change for me. And that's not something that makes, makes me happy. Um, sure. Yeah. Do I, do I find happiness in other things? Yes, I find happiness in cooking or talking to a friend or something that feels feels nice. I also listen to podcasts and watch TV shows by white people and that's that's fine. That makes me happy, but like, you know, I don't I also don't feel tied like I need to tie my identity to those those moments of happiness and right. I don't need to stake my development as an individual or even speak on behalf of my community to say like, wow, there's like an Indian person on TV. Do I feel compelled to say that uh, there is a very anti Kashmir movie that's circulating in Bollywood right now that my aunt expressed some sympathies with that I find to be complete bullshit? Yes. And I will tear that down. And if you do like that movie, you're a trash fascist. Um, trashist. Wow. I made a you neologism. You heard it here first. Yes, I did it. Yeah. I will say that if there is one thing about seeing, uh, you know, Asian women represent or Asian women in the media, it is simply the happiness that comes out of spiting all the white men who feel like they can't relate to their story. Um, shout out to the guy that watched Turning Red and said that he felt like he couldn't relate because it was about the director and their Asian friends in Vancouver rather than anyone that people could actually relate to. And I was like, uh, neat. What again, man alert. Uh, again, you know, you can, 
you can identify with characters who don't look or or have like relatable things to you like that that's fair and valid and a hundred percent what is the what is the white man siren i feel like uh, um i don't know i was about to call it the white mambulance but that's i don't know i mean i i think oh never mind i'm sorry the white man siren is uh the actual police i apologize <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no uh, <laughs> actually i, I think i it's, was like I, what I, is the purest expression of white people complaining i was like oh right the cops <laughs> oh i, I was I gonna forgot. say i was gonna say wolf blitzer announcing that he's on cnn okay I mean that's a pretty good, like pure white people grievance. Let right me. There. I'm sorry. Let but you me. could. Yeah, you can have the cops. Fine, fine. Take the cops. That was a good one. It's a great one. Thank you. And it's I'm, true. I'm sorry for my compulsive need to to yes and and one up on you. I apologize. That's okay. It's the improv person in yeah. you, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, I do want to be cognizant of the fact that this is this is a pretty long podcast already. It is. Um, I don't know if you feel I, like my I story fe- is. I, I, I love your stories, and I feel like we just, uh, this is a reason for you to come back uh, more. Yeah. Because, uh, I feel like one, everyone. I love getting to talk to you. Aww. And two, I think you're, you're a fantastic person to talk to. Um, and again, I feel like you're, you're giving feedback and perspective that uh, we don't have on our podcast, and that it, it is good to have. Oh, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Yeah. And like, obviously, it's fun talking to you because I I really appreciate you willing to re-record because for what it's worth, listener, that first recording was was fine. It, yeah, it was actually really fun and good. And I felt like one of the things that I was very concerned about was that I use like as a crutch word when I'm comfortable around people such as my friend John. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had never heard myself use like that much. And then... The second thing is I did, I feel very conflicted that I felt that I needed to record or re-record my points because I wanted to caveat everything I said and make it more sensitive to people who might be exploring their own emotions vis-a-vis their job or people who frankly haven't started to begin examining their relationships to the institutions that they are agents of. And it's actually really sad. I have very close friends who do not, who do not act on this. And frankly, it has led to many fights and I don't like it. And I also am witnessing very closely how this is playing out in terms of people uh, who are supporting United States and NATO intervention in Ukraine. Yeah. Look, I mean, Obviously, we don't talk about it much on the podcast, but guys, just sh- shut it. You know, and I'll I'll say this, actually, because let's talk about, I mean, I'll end on a note, which yeah. is amplifying a voice that I've heard, which is uh, a bunch of Ukrainian leftists saying that they want to be armed in this fight. And that is that is something that we can respect. And I respect that that is a need at this moment for people who want to defend themselves. I also feel like we all need to have a nuanced take and not have our dicks out for America. Sure. At at Um, any point, actually. (laughs) No, no, no. Like again, just, just like uh, everything else in in the world, keep your dick in your pants until somebody asks for it. And if you need someone to tell you to keep your dick in your pants, my rates are two ninety nine a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, uh, well, 
I am mostly a pacifist. Both Anna and Avery are uh, member. Like, <laughs> I, no, no, they, they, they. This is. I don't know where you're going with the sentence, but it could go anywhere, and I'm fascinated oh, to see. No, no, no. Uh, but both Anna and Avery do believe that, like, uh, being armed is a thing that is valid and oh, reasonable um, as part of like the process of being able to defend ourselves and to defend you know whatever uh yes, shape because, the, because, the the revolution takes because violent white people co-opted the idea that people of color need to be non-violent right and um that should be another podcast episode, yeah no I, I mean look the black panthers got a lot done by carrying automatic weapons around oakland and if you need someone to be if you need a person of color to be violent at you my rates are 2.99 a minute um 3.99 for sky and links in the show notes links in the show notes well we will we will provide a link to your instagram yeah do that and uh that. they can dm you if they have any further questions they can dm me if they have further questions or you know just uh menmo me y'all know where to find me <laughs> and if you don't know where to find me just, you know ask me i'll i'll let you know i guess yeah um but uh yeah so i have been your host john and I've been Amita telling you to keep your dick in your pants, you white colonizer dogs. Right. Uh, and, you know, uh, like I said before, we like to say at the end of every episode, it mm -hmm. could always be worse. So would you like to join me? Hear me in. It, it could, could always, always be, be worse. worse.